welcome to Prepare Like a Pro live chats. My name's Jack McLean. I created Prepare Like a Pro early in the year. We are a strength and conditioning business that specializes in athlete development for football. We are based in Melbourne, but we're working with male and female footballers all around the country. And if you're interested in working with us, head over to our website, preparelikeapro.com, where you can check out our training packages, online training programs, as well as face-to-face options. Super excited to catch up with Kane Johns. Kane is also part of the Prepare Like a Pro coaching team. Here he is. He's jumped on. I'm just going to send the invite while I go through his intro. He's a very well-experienced coach, strength and conditioning coach and sports scientist, and he was fortunate enough to Melbourne Football uh, Club, both in the men's and female ranks there. Here he is. Welcome, mate. What's going on? Much, mate. Yourself? Uh, just cruising. Cruising. Got the fan. It's, it, it's summer tomorrow. We're, we've finally got, to, got some heat picking up, which is nice. Yep, this, this study that I'm in has got a couple of computers, so it gets warm very quickly in here. Yeah, fair enough. I'll, I'll c- keep carrying on with the intro, mate, and then we'll get yeah, no into, the, into the questions. Yeah, so Kane's worked with both the AFL men's and AFLW. In fact, he's the head of performance since the AFLW commenced uh, and sports science in the Melbourne team. Prior to working for Melbourne, came as a swimmer, so we're swimming at the national level for 15 years, competing in swimming. Loves hard work and loves challenging his athletes not just physically but mentally as well, to get the most out of them. And he's completed his Bachelor of Exercise Science and Sports Science as well as being an accredited coach. So thanks for jumping on, mate. Super excited to have a chat. Take us through the beginning. When did you realise or, or when did you feel like you sort of started the passion to be a, a fitness coach, strength and conditioning coach in uh, this space? It's an interesting one. I wouldn't say I pinpointed an exact time that I wanted to be a strength coach. I think the last, from 16 onwards, when I was swimming nine times a week and going to the gym three times it was pretty hectic yeah. i enjoyed working hard at that myself but i also had that mindset like analyst mindset that i wanted to know more about why we train so hard why we go to the gym all that kind of stuff so kind of one thing led to another and i grew up in bendigo and there wasn't much for my swimming back there back in bendigo so i had to move to melbourne so at some point there i had to figure out what i wanted to do and I love sport. I love watching sport, everything about yeah. sport, all sports. So I thought, why not Why not see what it's like to study a Bachelor of, Bachelor of Exercise Science and see where it would take me. Yeah. Firstly, I studied it more so for my own knowledge around as I was pursuing, like, could I know a little bit more about the way we train or why we train and then apply it to my own self and my own training and then see if I could find that extra couple of percent. And then one thing led to another, basically, and I started to enjoy it and wanted to work at the elite level and was willing to do anything that it took to get there. Yeah, awesome, mate. You mentioned the analyst side. Were you exposed to a sports scientist when you were a swimmer? Is that something that is in swimming, sports science? Yes and no, in parts. But if anyone knows the swimming or the individual sport in Australia is it's you got to be within the top one to three percent in Australia to have access to a sports scientist at that and still to this day there's there's no clubs or anywhere that unless you're like affiliated with the VIS and you've met their qualifications athletes don't have access to those people so I did in some circumstances some of the swimmers in my squad were part of the VIS so they would pop in and they'd usually look at the whole training squad as well not just those athletes but that was another thing that kind of interests me as well. Is like we've got all these people that should have access to these type of people but can't because yeah, because of the, the top, yeah top. and the government I suppose fund these programs and they can't just fund millions and millions they already do and even more just to potentially help 
an extra one or two percent that probably most likely won't go on to win an Olympic medal. So yeah, so I was a little bit, but then that's probably where I thought, shit, I I want to know more so I can help myself. Yeah, and then one thing led to next, you started getting to the coaching side. Correct. Yeah. Correct. How old were you when you did your degree? I didn't Straight start till I was or? no, I didn't start till maybe nineteen or twenty. So from from school through until I started, I think swimming was a big focus. So I just did you know some diploma in sport and rec and little bits yep. and pieces because yeah, I was just focused on swimming and then it and then I think when I was nineteen, I really discovered that that's what I wanted to study and that's yeah, what cool. I was passionate about. And so yeah, started the following year, I guess yeah, straight away. Yeah, and what was your first job? In strength and conditioning, sports science, exercise science. <laughs> it's a funny one. It was my intern at Melbourne Football Club. Um, oh, I was yeah, fantastic. So I was lazy. Together, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was fairly lazy in doing my placement hours. I mean, then we got to the third year. I was, I'm sure a lot of graduates would be like, "Shit, where am I going to do my hours?" And then I ticked them all off in the third year, working with the International Cricket Council, the ACU, where I studied, had a partnership. Um, with the International Cricket Council, We're just looking at some bowling analysis, GPS data, that kind of stuff. So that's the yep. stuff that interests me and still does. So I ticked off my hours all there, and then I finished my degree. And I think, yeah, the, the ACU was trying to get me in to go into the master's program. And one of the big things I had was, okay, if I do this master's, do I have a job at the end of it? And if not, what do I need to do? And it was just luckily that I was speaking to staff at ACU where they said that Melbourne Footy Club has an internship. If you race home, I think it was 3.30 that day. If you race home right. and chuck in your application before 5, you've got a chance to get in. And I Far out. didn't break the speed limit, but I got home very quickly, got the application <laughs> in, got an interview, and, yeah, was successful. And then from Meant there, it was, yeah, straightforward and, and went from there. So, so you did your hours through your uni degree, finished, and then what happened with Melbourne and, and finishing the degree? Take us through when the degree was finished, what was the process there? A long, long road. So yeah. finished, got to Melbourne, started as an intern. I was more of an analyst, GPS, the usual. Yep. GPS in and out, collect the bibs, take RPEs, help out in the gym. And that went through the whole year. And at the end of the year, they like, they said, thanks. Thanks for your help. You're free to go on to do what you want. And I just had a chat to them. I said, well, unless I was a pain or a pest or I don't have anything else to go to because there isn't any jobs at that time. So do you mind if I continue on? And they're like, yeah, sure, no worries. So went through and ended up doing another year. And alongside that year, I actually got a job as head of rehab and sports science at Casey. Um, it was Casey Scorpions then at that time yep, yep. Under, under Matt Woolnow, who was also working in Melbourne a bit as well. So we worked together and we got through that role uh, whilst interning. And I think at that point I had five jobs. So I had a very busy yeah, well, week. I think it was... Typical uh, Western I think, City, yeah. Yeah, I think I... Come back to potentially averaging close to 75 hours a week of work for the whole year in that wow. second year. And then totaled Crazy. at the end of that year, close to 3,000 hours of unpaid work. So when I say it was going to do whatever it took, that was it. Then yeah. the end of that year, that was when the onset of AFLW started. So I was in the forefront of the staff's minds on who would take that. And I was in at the club. I knew their processes. I knew the staff, all that kind of stuff. So... I was lucky, lucky enough to be offered that and then I could build my own team from there. So I did that and, awesome. and then one thing led to another because I was in at the club with the AFLW. They were like, well, continue doing some stuff with the men. And yeah, that just progressed as in that time we had a fair few staff leave the footy club. So while I was working my ass off, other people leaving and then spots opened up and it kind of just, yeah, 
to the point where as a start of 20 in charge of management, not so much all of sports science, but more of the GPS, all the GPS, all the load monitoring, all the predictions and training, all the match stuff, game day matches and that kind of stuff. So that was pretty hectic managing the AFLW role as a whole program, staff, players, coaches, all that kind of stuff, as well as potentially basically being full-time in the men's program. So yeah. again, be very busy. And yeah, then we got through the 2019 was a pretty rough year for the footy team. Not winning many games, struggling to get momentum, injuries, that kind of stuff. And then we got a new performance department in at the start of last year. And mm-hmm. under Burjo, we got some really good staff with Dave Regan, Dave Watts and Phil. And then... We went through this year and obviously COVID hit and clubs were forced to make sacrifices. And unfortunately, I was one of those sacrifices who just couldn't meet the salary cap. But yeah, here I am. So a lot of team sport, a lot of working inside football. So I was around and aware of everything. But then not to mention my stuff on the outside. I just love endurance sports and I like studying that kind of stuff. So interests lie in team sports as well as endurance sports. Yeah, fantastic. And you've seen plenty of successful athletes as well as train with them yourself. Is there a common trait, either mentally or physically, that you've picked up on that you, you would like to, uh, or that you spend time when dealing, working with a de- you know, developing athlete? Is there I think, I think it's a focus? The, yeah, it's more mental. It's the do whatever, whatever it takes. You can use my getting into the role that I was in, doing the 3,000 hours we had. From when I started to now, I had we eight or nine interns that started after me and left before me because yeah, right. you know, they kind of got sick of it, lacked motivation. And it's the same thing that happens happens with athletes. Like they have a good four week, six six week period of training and they do everything right and then they take a back step or not not do everything to a hundred percent and they might do it to ninety five, ninety and that for another six weeks and, and it goes on and goes on and then they at the end of their time they look back and was like I didn't make it because I'm not sure why and don't understand that they'll the people that they were competing at were doing everything that they possibly could and that's just not in the gym or out on the track. It's mm. the recovery, it's the sleep, it's hydration, it's looking after your body, it's making the sacrifices in the social lo- uh, life because if you want to be an elite athlete and you want to be on the TV kicking the winning goals or doing some other sport, there's going to be huge sacrifices in your social life and a lot of people... I suppose don't understand that so i think it's mental to do yeah. doing it whatever it takes and if someone says for you to do something you go and do it and then you ask a million questions around why you do it so then you understand it's not just like i tell you to get in the ice bath for 10 minutes and you go yep and then have no idea why you're doing it because after two or three times when it's cold and it's raining outside and you don't want to get in that ice bath um, and you don't understand why you need to be in there yeah you you won't get in so yeah yeah and I imagine at the start, if you know, you're in the commencement of the AFLW, there would have been a lot of development in education, bringing everyone up to speed and, and building your team and as well as with the athletes and everything. So what was your strategy around that? How, how did you go about it? I think it was really good because it was a blank canvas. So the athletes, the females coming into the program had no idea what to expect, how hard it was going to be, the commitment. So anything we told them, they took on board. So they were very, yeah, awesome. very coachable which is one of the things I like about the female athletes is they take everything on board. They ask questions. They want to know why. And most of them don't complain. But if you were to say walking into 
a men's program, for example, that has players have been there for five, seven years, and you were to go, I want you to sit in the ice bath for 25 minutes, just this is just the hypothetical, as opposed yeah. to five. And even though you explain why they should do that, they're probably not going to do it because they're like, well, I've I get in for five minutes and that's worked for me. So yeah, there's yeah. all that blank canvas where I could explain or program how our, how we felt was the best for the girls and they were going to do it. And so that was really good. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, where were most of the athletes coming from? Were most of them footballers? Were some of them athletes from other sports? If so, what were the challenges with that from a physical point of view? Lots of challenges. Yeah, most of them were footballers. I've had some yeah. form of footy background. There was a couple that come from a dual sport or a different sport. But again, when you say they're coming from a football background, they're coming from a program that didn't have fitness staff. They just had a couple of coaches. They had, right. did their own stuff. They didn't do any conditioning. So they didn't do any injury prevention. They didn't do any weights. So it was like, yeah, we just go out on the weekend and play footy and we train during the week, have a kick round. So it was nowhere near even probably semi-elite, let alone elite. And these girls were coming into a program that required them to have an elite mindset in a part-time program where we would throw, us and the coaches would throw absolutely everything at them in a, a three-hour time slot, where it's education, whether it was education for football, education for us, injury prevention, ACL prevention, strength, running, everything. And they just had to absorb it, take it in and go home next day, recover and come back in the next day. So... I think the challenges were monitoring their load and understanding what they can and can't tolerate yes. as opposed to, and once we knew that, we could then better program. But because it was a blank canvas, we were just were able to do, I suppose, not whatever we felt, but what we thought was best. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And what was the week? What did it look like? Was it three times a week for pre-season? Yeah, so again, I'm not sure if it's widely known, but... With the AFL and AFLW, that they have an AFLPA that dictate how many hours the girls can be at the club, okay. times they can be at the club, times they have to be at home, all those kinds of things. So we were allowed to have the girls, I believe, for 12 hours, yeah, 12 hours across the week, and we just spread it out. So we had shooting Saturdays, um, and that, that's training, yeah, Saturdays, training and meetings, like everything. That's that's absolutely hours. everything. Right. That's absolutely everything. From the minute they walk in the door to the minute they leave the door is 12 hours. So it was kind of a at the start a bit of a battle between coaches wanting more time for skills and us wanting more time nice. for injury prevention. But that's where we had a good coaching department that understood that if they want to do an extra 500 kicks in the week, they were going to get injured. So they needed to utilize the time with us early on in the preseason, even a little bit before the preseason started, so they could build up enough strength to tolerate the load that was required for the girls in season yeah. and whatever the coaches required of them. So that was our goal, our performance department goal, was to be able to send them out on the field to have the coaches do whatever they want with them and they'd be able to cope. And then likewise, out on a game, if we were in hot, humid conditions, and we played yeah. some games in Darwin, Alice Springs, or a game that was incredibly intense, um, a game that was high speed, a game that was quite open and required girls to run of huge distances. So... That was our goal, and it's a goal that I have with any athlete that I train is I want them to be able to capable to withstand their worst-case scenario, so their worst couple of minutes of football that absolutely cooks them across the game. And if someone was working with you individually and they did have their – or they could buy a GPS unit, what would be – for someone that hasn't been exposed to sports science before or, or like you mentioned, some, some of the girls came to the club at, at that elite level and they hadn't – um, had the experience working with the conditioning team. They just sort of did their own work. 
um, by themselves uh, as best they could. Yeah, what would you? How would you go about an athlete that was developing that wanted to reach their potential uh, and they were willing to to buy a GPS unit? How would that look working with you as a coach? Yeah, there's a number of different ways to do it. Obviously, there's some GPS units that are quite cheap. I know there's the SPTs that they, I think they sell at Rebel, um, all the way up to the top GPS with Catapult, their T5s, I think they're called now, and they're quite expensive. But I think depending on what, what you're doing and what you want to monitor, obviously, I kind of almost prefer a almost go scale it back to a watch whether it's a garmin watch or i prefer garmin watches but obviously you're doing your running and your non-contact stuff you can wear your watch and then the watch needs to come off for contact related stuff but yeah you get a good gauge of what you're doing there during during a training session and understand how far you're running and that kind of stuff but i think unless you're getting to the elite level and we really need to nail down your load monitoring and how much you're doing in week and out you know, on games and when you should recover. I just think it's best to do you train as hard as you can always. And if mm. you do that and the training's prescribed properly, you'll be able to cope on game day, no worries. It's just then if we start to see things like in training, you're not doing enough speed and you're doing a lot in, in session, that's when we might pull out some stuff to, to track just to make sure that you're hitting enough speed in week for injury prevention so then come game day you're exposed to it so it's not a new stimulus and it's not going to tear those hamstrings or give yourself a soft tissue yeah is that something that you'll see quite commonly like athletes that will train really hard when the footies are out but when they're doing running around the off-season type yeah it's uh, i see that i see that too much and the good thing about training it one-on-one privately is you've got a coach there tracking everything you would do yeah but coming to the elite um, level with the AFLPA, like they can't have contact with performance coaches unless it's like the player goes to them. So again, it's right. at, it's easier at the top level to get by by doing the bare minimum as opposed to training with a private coach where you're being watched and mm-hmm. analysed all the time because that's what you're paying the coach to do. And what are your favourite, like if you had to nail it down to only three metrics, what would what would you scan your eyes over if you had to pick three? that you had to pick for, let's say, the preseason season. Let's say the PA said to all the, all the sports scientists, you're only allowed three that you're allowed to monitor for whatever reason. What would be your three that you'd, you would go for? Um, total high-speed meters, total sprint meters, and then probably high-speed a minute would be the three yeah. velocity-based. And then we could go into a little bit more detail if you want to do some accelerations and if they're involved, accelerations, decelerations, the change of direction stuff. But I think basically in a pre-preseason you're just exposing them to a good enough high speed and sprint volumes for them to be able to cope with yep. the demands of training coming back into pre-season and then we can ease into all the other little metrics we're not going to send you out day one of pre-season into a very intense small-sided games for seven to nine minute periods with little break because players would blow up so you'd ease into the agility side yeah so it is quite integrated isn't it for those that don't understand sports science it's not like you just looking after the outside running on the track. It's, it's integrated into the skills program with the footy coaches. and Yeah, yeah, to very, very detailed to the point where if a coach prescribes some sort of drill and it's classified, it's down to do for 10 minutes, I could tell you exact estimate, yeah, that they're going to do in 10 minutes per player, per team, per, per line with their forwards, backs, mids, that kind of stuff. So we can kind of gauge and predict where the team or the athlete would be prior to the end of the session. And, and then if that 
according to our periodized plan, if that was short or too much, we'd adjust or we'd add some extra running or we'd plan something a little bit different. So um, when we get to an end of a session, we usually have maybe three different conditioning sets that we want to do. And just depending on the output of the football stuff is where we choose which was best for them to do. Yep. Yep. And is there differences with the male and female bodies for the game of football or is it just simply the game's the same, so therefore the preparation is the same or is there differences when you're preparing a male to a female footballer? I would say that there's not really that many differences. You're obviously preparing them to play the game. The females side of things are a little bit slower at the moment. They're Each year they're getting faster and faster. But the girls can actually tolerate more load, not not total say let's say the men are doing 35k a week the girls aren't going to do 35k but in terms of their their bodies can actually tolerate a lot more so if we were to do a nine or yeah relatively it's it's the word i was trying to get out yeah but then on the other hand is the girls get six months of the year to prepare or no to play their whole from pre-season to the end of um, season the boys get 10 months 10 11 months and then even when they finish they're doing something so i would think that if the AFLW was to go full-time, which mm. hopefully it does soon, that yeah. and the girls have the ability to access a performance team, not just a single person across the whole, I suppose, year, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. They can play football, but everything is just limited to the amount of time we have with the girls across the year. 12 hours the whole from pre-season to season, is it? That's the... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, you, you look at like, oh, the girls can't, you hear all this, the media and stuff, the girls can't kick as far as the boys and they can't run as fast and all that kind of stuff, but they're not as fit as the girls. But I know firsthand that if we were to throw out from last year a couple of our top-tiered 2K runners and the girls into the men's, they'll beat maybe a third of the list. And I know there's probably a couple of girls in talking in Melbourne, their top speeds would be faster than some of the guys. In terms of kicking, kicking distances come from being stronger and if they don't have access to us for half the year we're under the pump to try and get them strong enough to perform let alone increase their strength to improve those little things so the girls are slowly chipping away at the guys and it'd be interesting to see where women's football is in five years i think it's very exciting yeah absolutely and on that note what what are you so we'll start to wrap it up well what are you excited about for, for 2021 and are you have you got much that you're thinking of doing at this stage or you're more focusing on December and, and resetting once the new year rolls around? I think I'm also resetting. Resetting. It's been a pretty horrendous year for work, even personal stuff. So I'm just, I suppose, ready to, you know, enjoy Christmas, enjoy the break and then reset yep. in 2021. I've been doing a heap of computer science stuff to more help oh, my awesome. analyst stuff. So a lot of coding and stuff like that that could help. If I was to transition back into an analyst role, I'm constantly reading research papers around strength conditioning especially in female athletes so who knows where it'll take me but at the moment it's just going day by day and yeah Yeah. learning as much as I can and absorbing as much as I can like when I was an intern I think at some point in your career you gotta sit back and go do I know it all no well what am I gonna do about it and and that's what I spent those last few months have been yeah, for me, it's it. just been learning as much as I can and, and finding new ways to train certain athletes, certain clients, different ways to periodize those kinds of things and different trying new things in the gym. So it's been really good. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Well, it's, yeah, great attitude and focusing on the controllables is 
definitely a, a big thing that I've learned this year. And uh, and yeah, you can always be doing more upskilling and, and more reading. And, and is there any papers that you would recommend or, or new things that you've uh, noted down that you've either refined your your methods or, or, or new things that you're keen to, to trial? I think the thing, to be as brief as possible, is we track a lot of stuff like GPS metrics, heart rates in training, the amount of how much we're lifting per session per week. We focus on absolutely everything in training, but we don't focus enough on outside. So a lot of my lately in the past couple of weeks have been researching around heart rate variabilities, resting heart rates, sleep tracking, and understanding recovery and the implications of not recovering to the standard required for even just a corporate executive who's has a big week yeah working because there's a product being released or whatever it is and yeah and the impacts of that strain on the body and they're not mm. recovering because they don't feel like oh i haven't run i haven't run a marathon so i don't need to re- sleep or recover but actually from the mental side of things so you're the strain is actually higher than running a marathon yeah 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 so yeah so it's just understanding yeah, there's a lot to learn from that area around recovery and, and even changing a diet because someone recommended it. Well, it's probably not going to be good for you or it might not be good for you. Mm. And do you feel good? Do you feel better? And if feeling, using your feelings to guide your path sometimes isn't the best answer and, and provide having some data, some sort of data to look at and go, actually, I changed my diet and last week I've slept shit hours. Well, yeah what did I change? I changed my diet. Maybe that's not working for me. Maybe I add something, change something. Maybe I try and get sleep, more sleep or go to bed and wake up at the same time. I could go on and on. But yeah, I the think outside, that's where I've... The, the training. Because that, that, that's way, way more important than what we're doing in, in the gym and, and, and on the field. Yeah, um, I agree, Because if you can recover, you can perform. And if you can't recover, you can't perform. And you potentially will be going out to a session half drunk, basically, because of your you haven't slept well and you're not going to perform half drunk. Yeah. Reaction times. Yeah. yeah. Everything yeah. can. Yeah. And even injury as well. Like often when you're analyzing everything, when a player breaks down and gets injured and you're trying to look for that change, like you said, when you change diet and you review what's changed and same thing when, when a player breaks down and ultimately the challenge as a sports science conditioning coach is that, is it overload or is it under recovered? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And, it can be the under recovery element. Yeah. And when an injury occurs, like, or especially it had in, in my program, before I pull my program to pieces to try and find out why, I usually try and see if anything changed for that athlete outside the program first. Because if it hasn't, mm. then I know it's in our program. But if it had, then I'd be sitting back going, do I need to change a program that's working? But because this athlete hasn't told me that they've been sleeping on the couch at someone else's house for the last three days or those kinds of things or they've sat in a car and have travelled five or six hours and they've had a stiff back and going into training, haven't spoken to anyone and then has had a soft tissue. So those things all play their part. So learning about and understanding and, and measuring what happens outside of the program is way more important than, I think, measuring what we do inside the program. Yeah, yeah. I guess what you, what we see is all in front of us, but it's the stuff that's unseen that, that can be you can get a huge competitive edge as well for all the athletes watching. Yes, like I was about to say is like what you what we don't see is mm. what's going to make you a great athlete. Mm. And any top-tier athlete from all across the world will tell you that. They might tell you after, so they don't give their um, competitors. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, but every single one would tell you that. Yeah, I love it, mate. Oh, thanks for the chat to wrap it up on. And, uh, yeah, great to have you on board the team as well. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll speak soon, mate. Thanks for catching Awesome. Up. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cheers, Kate.
catch up. Have faith. Thanks for thanks for watching, guys, as well. See you, crew.